0: Oh, you sound so excited. (laughs) Hmm. Just a little drink of water before we get started. I'd like to um, thank you for the opportunity to share with you today. Um, And uh, before I get started, I'd like to tell you a little bit about why um, I believe the subject that the Lord placed on my heart and that I've chosen for today's message is, um, well, just so important to me and I think to us as well. Um back around Shavuot, the Lord started to place it on my heart, how important it was to truly be a partner with him, to fully be surrendered to his spirit, to do his will, to, to to do the work of his kingdom, and to be less of myself and allow him to be more of who he is in my life. And I think that's that's important, and I don't think there's... Any coincidence that it was, you know, back during that time that I felt the heavy presence of the Holy Spirit back during Shavuot. And then as we approach the high holy days and, you know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it's just even more heavy on my heart that we truly become accountable to be a city on a hill. Tikvot Israel. A city on a hill. Who are we going to be? A light to the Jewish community and to the greater metropolitan Richmond area? Yes, that's what we are going to be. Do you know why? And you know how come I'm so confident in that? Because I know it's the will of the Lord. <laughs> we can't get in his way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We can't. Um Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Is this bottle of water half full or half empty? What do you think? Half full or half empty? Think about it for a second. You think it's half full? Half full? That's good. That's positive. Half full? Does anybody think it's half empty? I got news for you. It's all full. It's all full. There's, there's air in there with the water, but it's full. It's totally full. And which one could you live without? Which one, could you li- which one could you live without, the air or the water? Neither. And we cannot do what the Lord wants us to do, faithfully, working his will out in our lives and in, as individuals and as a community, without the fruits of the Holy Spirit, without the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. So uh, you might be wondering a little bit about me before I dive into this, and um, my dad taught me when I was a lot younger, he said, son, the um, mind can only absorb as much as the, well you know the rest of the story, Um, rear end can endure, but I've only got like five minutes left to get us down to Oneg. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'll do my best. Um, like this? Like this? I can eat it for sure. Is that better? This way. Okay. Um, it's not unidirectional. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, I trusted uh, the Lord when I was 11 years old, um, I remember growing up as a little boy, my father's grandmother, I believe it was his great-grandmother actually, lived with us for a while, and she was Jewish. My mom um, was, uh, was Gentile, and I grew up in a home where my parents didn't know the Lord. We didn't really practice any type of religion, but at 11, I remember trusting my life to the Lord, giving myself over to him. And I started preaching when I was 16 years old. I went on to study the Word at Liberty University um, in the mid-90s. I was licensed to preach and to perform weddings and, uh, uh, and funerals in the state of Virginia. Later on, I was ordained as a pastor. And um, I just love preaching and teaching the Word of God. I just love the Lord. I love to serve Him wherever I am. That's just kind of who I am. Today, I would like to discuss what the Scripture says. About the fruit of the Spirit, as we read in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And in the spirit of a great relationship with a colleague and a friend, Rabbi David Rudolph, I have three points. It all starts with the seed, the storms strengthen the stalks, and the harvest is not the end, it's only the beginning. So let's think about this scripture, Galatians 5:22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And now for my first point, it all starts with a seed. Courtney and I were born in the northern Shenandoah Valley and uh, up in the Winchester, Virginia area. And it's just beautiful up there this time of year. And we liked to take drives along the base of the um, Blue Ridge Mountains where the Shenandoah River runs at at the base there. And and, and I tell you, that, that area is just so rich in farmland. It's amazing. There's just crops everywhere. And I remember as a little boy, I used to love stopping by the roadside with my dad and buying corn directly from the farmer. And, and it was just amazing. And I used to run through the corn stalks because they were huge. And, you know, I could get lost in there. And uh, it was just pretty amazing. Have, by the way, any of you ever been to a corn maze? Have you ever been to one of those corn mazes? Yeah, you can get lost for sure. Um, well, I think it's interesting to consider um, some corny facts if, if we could. Would that be okay? Did you know that an average ear of corn has approximately 400 to 600 kernels? One ear of corn, four to 600 kernels. And that one bushel of corn contains about 90,000 kernels. Um, Paul, you, you've been counting for a while, so keep up with me, okay? <laughs> um, This is according to the Iowa State University. They say that farmers typically plant about 30,000 to 45,000 kernels per acre, and each acre yields about 117 bushels. Or for those who like to do the math, that's 10,530,000 kernels of corn, which would be enough to replant 234 acres of corn the following season. Think of it this way. The first year, one kernel sown equals 500 kernels or one ear of corn. The next year, 500 kernels sown, one ear of corn, planted in the ground, yields 250,000 kernels or 500 ears of corn. And then the third year, 500 ears of corn sown, 250,000, okay, ears of corn will be produced. That's 125 million kernels. The fourth year, it continues, and the multiplier is amazing. It's enough corn to feed 143,000 or more people. For a year according to the world census again it's interesting to consider how much corn is produced from one little seed and how the multiplier works but where did that first kernel of corn come from how many of us know that we can't give what we don't have you know that right if I asked you for a million dollars You can't give me a million dollars unless you have a million dollars. And if you had a million dollars, you probably wouldn't give it to me anyway, but still, you would have the option. But if you don't have a million dollars and I ask you for a million dollars, you just don't have the option. You can't give what you don't have. It's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have it, you can't share it. And if you have it and you don't share it, You will be miserable. I've come to the conclusion, and this is my personal conclusion, that the most miserable person on the face of the earth is not the person who doesn't know God. It's the person who does and willfully chooses not to do his will. That person is miserable. I've been that person. I've been miserable. So, it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit, and it's wonderful because Yeshua gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. It reads, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He went on to say later in verse 8, You shall receive power when the Ruach has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so it was that in Acts chapter 2, we have the details of how these disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit just as the Lord had promised them, and thus the fruit of the Spirit was planted or rooted into them. The scripture teaches that the Lord created all things to produce after their own kind and natural order. Sheep produce sheep. Sheep do not produce chickens. Right? It just just doesn't happen. God created everything to produce after its own and natural order. So you plant corn, you reap corn. Right? Right? You plant love, love. The history of creation is recorded in the book of Genesis, beginning with verse 1, which reads, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The scriptures that follow this verse tell us about how God spoke such things as the day and the night into being. He created the land, the sea, along with the plants and the creatures that reside in them. And he blessed them and he ordered them to multiply After their own kind. In other words, he built a prototype of everything. Then he created man, us, you and I, the human race, in his own image and his own likeness. In his own image and his own likeness. The scripture reads... God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So therefore, we can reasonably conclude that the seed for the fruit of the Spirit that we're reading about in Galatians is from God. I'm suggesting that the scriptures teach us that the fruit of the Spirit are the very attributes and character of God themselves. They are made available to us, okay, through his relationship with us. I'm also suggesting that this fruit or character starts with love and then... Joy and peace as the primary foundation or building blocks. Or maybe first fruits, if you will. Let's consider the following. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This scripture, along with others such as all of Corinthians chapter 13, teach us that the love of God is the greatest gift of all and that love is the cornerstone of our existence, the fundamental ingredient for healthy relationships. The relationship that joy has to love is rather unique. So it starts with love. Love, then joy. And joy demonstrates our confidence in love. Joy, unlike happiness, is more than a temporary emotion. How many of us know that happy can be temporary? There's a difference between satisfaction and fulfillment. Fulfillment, fill, fill up, fill. See, if there's if there's too much of me, I have a capacity issue. Like this container, I have a capacity issue. Okay, I am limited. You are limited. The more of me that is in me, my want, my desire, my will, the less of God. More of God in me means there's less of me. Does that make sense? We have a capacity issue. We have to surrender ourselves, our day-to-day, our moment-by-moment to the Lord. We can't be somebody different on Monday morning than we are. Saturday and Sunday. We can't be somebody different, you know, through the week at work than we are here as we worship together here at Shabbat. That is not being a city on a hill and a light unto the nations. Joy is the result of the everlasting hope That comes from the love of God. Nehemiah 8, chapter 9 and 10 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why would you weep when you hear the words of the law? Some people get angry. But some people are convicted. And they realize that I'm measuring myself, not to the man in the mirror, but to the the law of God, his precious word, the fruit of the spirit. And I fall short. (laughs) That was the message Yeshua kept preaching. It's like, don't, don't look horizontally. Why don't you look outward and upward? So then, when they heard the words of the law... Then Nehemiah said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy, joy of the Lord is your strength. Love, joy, joy, strength. Law, doing good, being full of God, full of the Spirit, strength, confidence. Who doesn't want to be strong and confident? Well, you can't be strong and confident in your own understanding. The scripture teaches us in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord and lean not unto your own understanding. Psalms chapter 30, verses 4 and 5 says, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks to the remembrance of his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for the night, but his joy comes in the morning. How often do we go to bed and lay awake, But we know deep down it's all going to be okay. (laughs) We can go to bed and sleep with joy and love and peace knowing that our tomorrow is held in the very hands of our creator. The combination of love, joy, and able peace. Have you ever known somebody to be going through a difficult time, a challenging situation, but they appear to be calm and secure? Where does it come from? Where does the confidence come from? Why are some people able to hold things together better than others? I know some people pretend. I've done that. I've pretended. You know, pride makes us do that. I don't want anybody to know there's anything wrong. But Philippians verses uh, 6 and 8 of chapter 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication give thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Messiah Yeshua. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, and Sonia, I love that you gave us this verse when we were doing Oneg, and you, and you asked us to recite this, thank you. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. If the scripture tells us to do that, why do we do the, the opposite? <laughs> Because there's too much of us and not enough of God. I'm thinking about what I know and understand and not focusing on these things. Can you see how this scripture supports the relationship that peace has to joy and joy to love? I like to think of love, joy, and peace as a three-legged stool. When you sit on a three-legged stool, it never rocks. It's always stable and strong. Even if one leg's a little bit shorter than the other. So, I like to think of joy and peace in the context also of the three strand cord mentioned in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. This brings me to my second point the storms strengthen the stalks. It takes corn between 60 to 90 days to mature for the harvest. During this time, the plants are vulnerable, the summer storms beat them, the rains come, and uh, potentially damaging the harvest, the corn, the plants. However, you might find it interesting that the weather actually strengthens the stalks as they grow. These storms enable the stalk to build up a resistance during the growing season because they're going to reach seven, six, seven, eight, maybe nine feet tall. And the storms help the corn get stronger and the fibers actually reinforce each other. And as the wind is blowing that small foot, you know, tall stalk of corn, the corn learns to be resistant. It's those storms that strengthen the stalk. Personally, I choose to group the attributes of patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness together in a category that I like to call day-to-day living. Let me say that again. I like to group the attributes that we read about in the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness, together in a category that I like to call day-to-day living. We're constantly faced with spontaneous decisions. How do we respond to the world we interact with? I found myself having to exercise these characteristics while going through a rather enduring life challenge. And as an example, I'd like to share that experience with you today. And I can condense it <laughs> so we can get to egg and, and fellowshipping. The long story short is in 2013, um, I was approached by a longtime friend of mine who I'd worked with for several years. And he was starting a business, and he had uh, been about a year in business. And he asked me if I would resign from the company I had been with for like 15, 16 years, a company I'd helped build from $30 million a year to $450 million a year. And mind you, I'm just a carpenter, (laughs) that's what I do. But God blessed this company. And I'm sitting here at this point in time, and, and I'm looking at my friend, and I just wanted to help him. I wanted to invest in him. And I thought, I want to pray, and i want to do what you want me to do, Lord. So I resigned from that company, and I went to work for my friend. And he asked me if I would basically take my experience and my knowledge as a carpenter and as a construction guy and teach his, his guys to do what I'd done before. Four months later, he fired me. <laughs> yeah surprised me Um, and what's interesting is there was such a personality conflict this man was a believer we had prayed together we had spent time together done life together but yet because he and I were struggling to bring you know our our the fruit of the spirit into the workplace we really weren't looking at things correctly neither one of us quite frankly and, uh, and he was a nervous owner, and he had some trust issues, and, he, and maybe I was pushing too fast. I don't know. But he fired me. So <clears throat> not long after I was fired, Rabbi David Rudolph invited me to lunch, and we sat and talked about the recent events. And he suggested, as a result, that I get more involved in ministry, that I start doing more for others. You've got some free time on your hands. You should start doing some things for other people. Okay. Okay. That sounds great. You're buying lunch, right? I'm unemployed. But he was suggesting that in the midst of my personal struggles, that I exercise kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness through serving others. And during this time, it was during this time, that Courtney and I became ONE coordinators. He said, why don't you do this? This will be good. He was a faithful rabbi and friend at that time. Because even though I... Didn't feel like doing that. I didn't want to follow Rabbi David's counsel. I didn't feel like it. It's interesting. Since that time, I've been reminded that tests produce testimonies. There's always a test and a testimony. And I'm thankful for my friend, my colleague, my rabbi, David Rudolph, for standing in there and forcing me to be accountable, not to him, but to the word of God, the law. And this brings me to my last point. The harvest is not the end, it's only the beginning. So we've discussed love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and that leaves just one, self-control. I like to think of self-control as the sum total result of all those things just mentioned. In other words, self-control is developed along the way as we exercise and implement those other fruits. What is self-control? What does it look like? In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we're told what it does not look like. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelies, and the like of which... I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things do not describe self-control. In fact, they are the demonstration of the opposite. I'm sure most of us have witnessed someone spiraling out of control. And they're practicing such actions. These actions describe a self-centered sin nature that leads to that life of misery, helplessness, helplessness, and ultimately the scripture tells us death. So may I suggest today that self-control is also a sign of maturity. It's the result of being submitted to the scriptures and to the Lord's will through the various seasons of our life. It's through self-control that we harvest a testimony And like the kernel of corn we discussed earlier, we are able to sow that testimony, just like a spiritual seed, into the lives of others that we work with and do life with day to day. Hear the words of Messiah in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 and 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with not passion, compassion. For them, because they were weary and scattered, and like sheep having no shepherd, he then looked and said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. In other words, be a city on a hill, be a light to the nations. Today, we've discussed the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And we've considered three points. It all starts with a seed. The storms strengthen the stalks. And the harvest is not the end. It's just the beginning. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom.